Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, what Trey didn't mention in that glowing introduction is my profession. Uh, I happen to work for one of America's most exciting, fastest growing companies. You know, I get to travel, uh, I get to handle classified documents. There's an element of danger in my job. And, uh, and as a mailman, uh, I, I'm often on the road. Uh, I'm hanging out in Gentry, Arkansas. You can find my, band, my van halfway on the road, halfway off, fiddling with someone's mail trying to stuff it in the box. We don't stuff it, we, we place it gently in, in the box. And the other day, I finally got in an accident. Someone came and rear-ended me, and our van was totaled, and I was basically on the phone with insurance folks for the next you know, three, three weeks, nonstop. And I don't know how much you've dealt with insurance folks. It's not like they're, they're not bad folks. They're just kind of suspicious. They're kind of a suspicious group of people. I, I would talk to them and say, hey, this is what happened. And they always kind of asked me questions that made it seem like they didn't really believe me. They didn't really think what I was telling them was true. I think they were probably used to getting ripped off a lot. And I remember just wanting to, to tell them, like, hey, I'm a Christian. It, like, it's fine. Like, I really, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to cheat you. And then I, I was thinking about it, and I was talking with my wife, and I, I actually don't know if that would have helped. You know, I don't really know if me telling them I was a Christian would actually make that much of a difference to them. I, I'm sure that they probably deal with Christians all the time who are more than happy uh, to rip them off. So I guess my question is, should it matter? Should it matter when we tell people that we're Christians? Does, does it mean anything, fundamentally, that we belong to Jesus as opposed to belonging to the world? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today and for the, the, not the next two weeks, but two weeks after next, when we talk about holiness. So when we talk about holiness, we're talking mainly uh, with regards to progressing in holiness, so the, the process of sanctification, growing in godliness. And like Trey said, we're going we're gonna to talk about what holiness is today, and then why it matters. So what does it mean for Christians to be holy? And then what are ways that God motivates us? And what are ways we can motivate ourselves to live for Christ in this world? So first, you'll see in your outline, what is holiness? Our first point is, what is holiness? And before we can really ask that question, we need to ask a different question. Namely, who's holy? Who is holy? So before we can see what holiness is, we need to know first that, that God is holy. That holiness comes from Him. It, it's a, it's a, an attribute of God, and it's not even just an attribute of God, it's sort of just who He is. It, it's a little bit hard to define, it's just sort of His, his, his bigness, right? His, his grandeur, His worth, His value. Uh, and there's no way we're going to be able to give a, a big systematic theology of God's holiness uh, this morning. Trey only gives me 30 minutes. Can you believe that? Goodness gracious. And... Uh, so let's think about three ways that we can think of God's holiness. Three ways that we can think of God's holiness. First, God's holiness means that he's set apart. Or to use another word, he's transcendent. He's above us. Unlike us, he's always been. Right? He doesn't derive his being from, from anything. And actually, he created all things. And he doesn't need, he doesn't gain from us. Right? He says, if, if I needed something, I wouldn't tell you. I have everything in myself because I'm God. So he's set apart from us. He's not just like the best, you know, where we're here and he's just more holy than we are. He is the, the definition and the standard and, and the source of all holiness. So God is set apart. He's other than us. And secondly, God is pure. So his holiness means he's pure. He's pure light as the scriptures describe him. He's full of, of beauty, which means he's full of goodness. That means he can't tolerate sin. You know, the Bible says he's a consuming fire. You have some of these images of his, 
of his purity, of his, of his morality. And then third, and this will kind of get at what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time, God's holiness means that he's worthy. So if you've read Isaiah 6.3, you know that the attribute or the, the, the part of God's being that the angels are always singing about is God's holiness, right? It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of your glory. So God's holiness means that he is he's worthy, he's, he's valuable. And not only is God valuable, and not only does he uphold himself as valuable, but God's holiness means that it reaches out towards us, his creatures, and demands that we think that he's holy as well. It demands our reverence and our esteeming of him above all things too. God's holiness claims everything for his praise and his glory, especially those created in his image to show his glory. And our discussion today is going to be based, again, on that last part, that God is holy, but yet he also calls us, especially his people, to be holy. And and where do we see the the perfect uh, embodiment of holiness? Anybody? Think yes? Jesus, that's right. Yeah, Jesus was perfectly holy. So he was He is God from all eternity, and then he takes on human flesh, right? And he lives a perfect life, not for himself, because he needed it, but as we'll see for us, he always obeyed God. And so what it means for us as those united to Jesus to be holy is essentially to be like Jesus. So if you want a definition of holiness that we're going to use this morning, it's just progressively becoming like Jesus. Holiness is progressively becoming like Jesus. Now, my wife can tell you I'm not lying. I typed that out, and then... I panicked a little bit, and so I looked on DesiringGod.org, and John Piper said the same thing. Same thing as I did. That rarely happens. Most of the time he says something different than I say. So that was nice. So progressively becoming like Jesus is what holiness is. Now, you might think, wow, uh, your seminary degree taught you a whole ton, progressively becoming like Jesus. So let's, let's think about that a little bit more by first stating three things holiness is not. So three things holiness is not, and then we'll look at three things holiness is is. So, first, holiness is not what we do to get right with God. Holiness is not how we get saved. So, living a holy life is always a response to God's grace, never a way to earn it. You know, we have to know that no matter how well we live, we all, as Paul says in Romans 3, fall short of the glory of God. That is, not only have we done bad things, but we've taken God's glory, which we were supposed to worship, and have exchanged it to worship the glory of created things, mostly ourselves, right? We set ourselves up as holy. We think that we're transcendent, that we don't need anything else. We think that we're pure and we're so good. And the Bible calls that sin. We've rebelled against the, the very reason that we have been created. So really, the first thing that we need to, to know to be holy is actually to know how wicked we are. We need to sort of be torn all the way down before we could ever be built back up in that way. So what, what kind of hope do we have then? We need to see that our acceptance, our only hope of acceptance before God is in Jesus. You know, unlike us, he never sinned, right? He perfectly obeyed his Father. He lived a life of perfect holiness. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. His affections, his thoughts, his attitudes, all the time, always obeying his Father. Uh, But then how did that perfect life end for him? It ended in his death. And not his death because he deserved it. Obviously, he never sinned. But his death was in our place. He took God's wrath that we deserve for our lack of holiness. He took the punishment that that we deserve so that no more condemnation for us, but it was laid on him. And then he was raised from the dead, right? And now everyone who repents of their sin 
turns away from it, and, and trusts in Christ, trusts in Christ's obedience to stand as theirs before God can be saved, right? That's, that's sort of holiness 101 is the gospel. All right, so if you're here and you're, and you're not a Christian, great, we're so glad that you're here. I, I don't want you to hear what we're going to talk about of trying to live a, a godly, a moral life, and here I need to try to make myself good enough to be accepted with God. You know, Christianity is different from all other world religions in that we're not talking about a ladder that we climb up to God. We're talking about a God who came down to save us. And you can talk about that with me or anyone in here. Uh, if you were brought uh, by someone, we'd love to talk more about what it, what it means to, to truly become a Christian. So holiness is not what we do to get right with God. Number two, holiness is not mere external or moral transformation. So Morals aren't bad, right? It's not that we don't want people to be moral. It's not that we don't want to be moral. The Bible says morality is good, but what we need to beware of is moralism, right? Moralism is bad. And that was sort of a basic Pharisee theology, right? Jesus says to them in Matthew 23, 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the plate, or the cup in the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. So they were really good at the externals, right? The ritual washings, the fastings, not eating pork, which just sounds so terrible. But, but the thing was, is they were, they were sort of like kindergarten. If they were PhDs in outward conformity to what they thought God wanted them in holiness, they were, they were sort of kindergartners and actually loving God. What they miss is that holiness is from the heart. You know, nice people go to hell all the time, right? People with Christian values are oftentimes just as lost as your atheist humanities professor at the U of A. Holiness begins inside with a new heart and works its way out. And our godliness is actually more expressed in our love for our neighbor and love for our brothers and sisters than it is in, in niceties and platitudes and religious sincerity or Christian t-shirts. Holiness is not mere external or moral transformation. Third, holiness isn't passive. It's not passive, Okay. The phrase, let go and let God, have you heard that phrase before? Yeah? It's about as good advice for a Christian as it is for an airline pilot. If you let go, you will crash, you know? The song, Jesus Take the Will, not great theology, it turns out. The Christian life is marked by effort, right? Not effort to save us, not effort to justify us, to be counted right before God, but Paul isn't afraid to say things like, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, Colossians 3.5. Or to this end, maybe he's talking about growing in holiness, we toil and we strive. You know, we read this and think, who is this legalist? What's his deal? But we see that holiness doesn't come by inactivity, but by activity. So if you have your Bibles, look quickly at Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. I have to be fast Bible flippers today. So in Philippians 2, we see this dynamic of Paul saying, you are to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Fear and trembling. Like it, it's, it's, it takes effort. But then you see why. Because it's God that works in you both to will and to work to do his good pleasure. So we'll only see holiness by the grace of God, yes. But God's grace creates in us effort. Creates in us the, the fight to put sin to death. And John Owen, an old Puritan guy, said it best, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So holiness isn't passive, it's active. Now, we've seen what holiness is not. Let's see what holiness 
is, positively, what, is, what does it mean to be holy then? And with this first one, holiness is a process, I really wanted to work in, any NBA fans? I really wanted to make like a 76ers reference here, you know, trust the process. Uh, but I'm a Celtics fan, so I, I don't like the 76ers, so I, I w- wasn't going to do it. So holiness is a process. Holiness is a process. Now, you can probably tell, I mean, it may be surprising to you guys, when you look at me, I don't run. I run, sometimes I run, I run to eat. And one thing that I never do ever is pay to run. I will never pay someone else money to do something that I don't even want to do outside at Wilson Park. But I do know that there's a difference between a marathon and a sprint, right? I'd much prefer a sprint because it's over quicker. But the Christian life is much more like a marathon than it is a sprint. You know, it's a process. And the starting line is just when we're, when we're born again, and there's a long race ahead. And knowing that sanctification is more like a marathon and not a sprint, it doesn't mean that we don't run hard. It doesn't mean that we have an excuse to be lazy. But it does keep our expectations realistic, right? We're not going to be surprised when we continue to struggle with sin. You know, Paul was like the holiest dude of all time, probably except for Jesus. And at the end of his life, he's saying, wretched man that I am in Romans 7. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. You know, the more holy that we become, the less holy we're probably going to feel. And that's, that's normal. And remembering this will keep us from despairing when we do see sin in our hearts. It keeps us from thinking, oh, I can never be a Christian because I keep sinning. Well, your fight against sin is, is, is evidence that God is working by his spirit to make you more like his son. And as we keep fighting, we can remember that the race will be over soon enough. It will come to completion. Holiness is a process. Second, holiness is by grace. Holiness is by grace. So we've already seen that our holiness doesn't save us, but we also need to keep in mind that holiness is produced by God's grace. It's not like we just get in by grace, and then once you're inside, man, you better work hard. You better better keep yourself in God's grace. No, God's grace is what's creating, what's fueling all of our efforts to please Him. So remember that justification, right, being declared righteous before God, is by Jesus' good works, not ours. By faith alone, right, as we, uh, as we think about when we think of like Martin Luther, for example, the Protestant Reformation. Um, and sanctification is different than that. It's the process by which we actually become holy. So justification, we're declared to be holy even when we're not holy in ourselves because Jesus is. Sanctification is when the justified actually start to become holy incrementally, over time, by God's grace. And both are gifts of God's grace, and you can't, you can't have one without the other, so you have to distinguish between the two, but you can't separate them. Uh, John Calvin called them twin graces. Like, you can't separate one twin from another. We have to have both uh, if we're truly to be Christians. And our, our hope in all of this is the finished work of Jesus, right? It's where all of our effort comes from. We're not sort of tag-teaming with God to, to make sure that we... We get saved. It's God before us making us work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, do your, did your parents, I don't know if your parents would still do this. I don't know. It's college is kind of a weird time with, with parents, I understand. Uh, but did your parents ever tell you when you were growing up to do something because I said so? You know, just do it because I said so. You know, I, don't, I, I hope I don't do that, but I could see where it would be easy <laughs> to do that expedient. Um, but God doesn't, doesn't really do that. He could, right? He's God. But oftentimes, he reminds us about what's true in Christ of us and then tells us how we're to live. All right, so you think about Romans 12, 
the book of Romans, sort of chapters 1 through 11, is just truth after truth after truth after truth about what God has done in Christ to save sinners like you and me. Right? Predestination, regeneration, justification, adoption, we're waiting glorification. You know, and all our present sufferings aren't even worth comparing to how great what we have in the future is. And he sums it all up in verse 12.1 by saying, Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, right, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. So he's going to get to four chapters of explaining how the Christian life is to be lived, especially in the local church. Uh, but he does it first by saying, this is what's true of you in Jesus. So here's what's true, and now here's what you do. Right? Here's what's true, here's what you do. Instead of it being, do it so that it can be done, the gospel is, it's done, the work is finished, and now do. Now work crazy hard. Not to earn God's favor, but out of God's favor. And then third, and finally, what holiness is, is that it's possible. Holiness is possible. Even people as sinful as you and me can really be holy. You know, sometimes we think, God could never be pleased with someone like me. Right? You know in your own heart the things that you think, the things that you feel, the, the remnants of sin that are, are still very much there. And we think that we can never please our Father. And I think a lot of times we have sort of, especially in people that take sin seriously, we've started saying things like, you know, all my good deeds are filthy rags. I can never do anything good, nothing at all. And that is true, again, with regards to our justification. But in sanctification, what it does is it makes us think about God only as a judge, right? That it's just sort of yes or no, good or bad, 100%, 100% obedience or nothing, right? But it misses that God is also our Father, not just our judge. God's also our Father who accepts even imperfect obedience uh, because He loves us, because He sees that we're trying, right? We really are trying, and we genuinely want to please Him. Now, this, this illustration is super limited because my son's four months old, right? There's a, limit to, there's a limit to what you can sort of conjecture about what he's actually trying to do, but bear with me. The other day, he brought home his first piece of Thanksgiving art from We Care. Uh, and it's one of those things where they make a turkey out of his footprint, you know what I mean? But the thing is, it didn't really look like a turkey, and honestly, it didn't even look like his footprint. Um, but, but could you imagine if he, he brought it to me, his, he and my wife brought it to me, and I sort of just like slapped it to the ground and thought, turkeys don't have green on them, dude. Like, what are you doing? Can you imagine saying, this is the worst turkey of all time? Like, of course, it's not a great turkey, but that's not the point. It was an expression in some subconscious sense, of his love for me, right? <laughs> right? But, but the point is this, that even though it's imperfect, it's an expression of love. And, and it's the same with our Heavenly Father, that we express love for God by trying to be obedient. And he doesn't just say, that's, that's not good. That was mixed with sin. He says, because you're in Christ, that's wonderful. That's a pleasing aroma. We really can be holy, and we really can please God, which is, which is really good news. So that's what holiness is. A lot more things that holiness is, and a lot more things holiness is not. But that's what we have for today. Are, are there any questions before we move to sort of the why of holiness? Why it matters, motivations, that kind of thing? Any questions? No, so clear. That, how could there be? Um, so when we think about why, uh, I want us first to think about my campus doctor. And unfortunately, there are OBU people here, so this didn't work as much as I thought it might as far as keeping the uh, names uh, anonymous to uh, protect the guilty. Uh, but our, our campus doctor was a super nice guy. Nice guy. 
no debate. Used to bring everybody chocolate all the time. It was super epic. Um, but he sort of had one remedy for all the things that you came with. Like, you would come with a broken leg, he's going to give you pain medication. If you come with the flu, he's going to give you pain medication. You know, if, you like, if you're just feeling bummed out because you like really bombed a test, he probably gives you pain medication. <laughs> you know, so does, does that make a good doctor? If you're, gonna, if you're, trying to, if you're in like pre-med, no, don't do that. Uh, no, that's not being a good doctor because good doctors are able to give different solutions to different problems. So we see that Jesus is a better physician. He's the great physician, right? And has not just one, but lots of remedies for all the sins and all the temptations that we experience. And I'm going to go through seven of them, and hopefully we're not late. Uh, so holiness, number one, matters because without holiness, you're not a Christian. Without holiness, you're not a Christian. Uh, my wife is from New England, uh, right outside Boston, Massachusetts. And New England has a lot of apple orchards. And they're sort of coming to the end of the, the apple season, whatever that is. And I didn't grow up with apple trees at all in Malvern, Arkansas. No, I don't think there's a single apple tree in Malvern, Arkansas. But I found a surefire way to tell the apple trees from the non-apple trees, right? The other trees, oaks and all that kind of junk. It's that when you look at them, apple trees have apples on them. And other trees don't have apples on them. Right? You can tell what a tree is if it bears the right kind of fruit. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15 through 20 that we would know people by their fruit. Right? Now, if you are here and you're, and you're not seeing the fruits of God's Spirit in your life, you know all those? Uh, I should be able to rattle them off from memory, but I'm going to read them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Then you probably haven't really come to know Jesus. You probably haven't been born again. And that means you need to go back to where we started and repent and believe the gospel, receive the Holy Spirit. You know, you can't, you can't make yourself produce fruit. So trying to make yourself produce these, these fruits of the Spirit when you don't have the Holy Spirit is sort of like trying to staple an apple to an oak tree and say, hey, I'm, a, I'm an apple tree, right? That, that fruit is going to die quickly because it's not actually attached to the, to the life source right? so that it can grow. You need a new heart. Right? You, you need to be made into a good tree, as Jesus says. But before we move on, I, I do want to say a word to, to those who are Christians but have a sensitive conscience, right? who look in our lives and think, I just don't know. Like, I don't know if I see those things. Like, I know maybe sometimes I'm like this, but I'm also not patient. I'm also not kind sometimes. And let me just say, let other people evaluate the fruit in your life. Okay? You're not going to be the best judge of yourselves. That's one reason we have church membership is so that we can point out evidences of God's grace in one another's lives. So don't be so quick to write yourself off. Okay? Ask others uh, because oftentimes when we're in the throes of sin, we, we can't really see big picture. Uh, and other people who aren't in the thick of the battle can see probably a little bit better than we can. So holiness matters because without it, you're not a Christian. Similarly, number two, holiness matters because without it, you won't stay a Christian. Now, you probably read this and thought, wow, what kind of heretical dude did Trey bring in today? Um, I'm not saying that you can lose your salvation if you're a Christian. I promise. I'm not saying that you could ever lose your salvation. God completes every work that he starts, every single one. As the, any Christian hip-hop fans in here? Come on. All right. KB uh, rapper said, he's been saving since Abram, and he ain't lost one yet, right? So that's the kind of confidence we have in God now. But... <laughs> The Bible does, are you guys surprised I like hip-hop, you know? 
Don't let the beard and the flannel fool you. Um, but the, uh, the Bible has these things called warning passages. And what they do is they warn us of the consequences of falling away. They, they sort of serve like a, a bucket of cold water you see in the movies where they throw it on someone in the bed and they jump out. Well, that's kind of what these warning passages do. They sort of shock us back into, into the race, into saying, hey, if you don't keep fighting, you're going to perish, right? So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 3. This is sort of a, an illustration of one of these warning passages. And the book of Hebrews is full of these things. Um, he's writing, whoever the author is, to a group of Christians who need endurance. They need to see that Jesus is better than Moses, he's better than angels, he's better than Judaism, and they need to see that if they neglect this great salvation, that the judgment is going to be intense. And he does this by reminding them of an Old Testament story. Uh, God brought his people out of Egypt, right, in the Exodus, crossed the Red Sea, but then he says, not all of them entered into the Promised Land because of their unbelief, right, in in 3.11 there. It says, uh, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, talking about the promised land. And then the lesson that the author draws in, chapter, in verse 12 is this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, like Israel, an un- evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So he says, watch out and, and make sure that heart's not in you, Christian, leading you to fall away from uh, the, the living God. And then in chapter 4, he looks there, In verse 1, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands for us, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Again, he's talking to Christians. And when he talks about God's rest, he's talking about heaven, right? So heaven is obviously not here. It's in the future. We await eternity with God. And he says, so while we're here in this world, continue fighting so that you don't fail to enter that rest. Again, God will keep us, but these sort of things shock us back into fighting, shock us back into, into striving for the holiness, as Hebrew says, without which one will not see the Lord. So God uses these things by his grace to sort of spur us on to love and good deeds. Number three, holiness matters because you are united to Christ. And I probably don't have to flesh this out a ton because this will probably dominate Trey's discussions uh, in the next two classes. But this is the, the most common motivation for holiness. And the words union with Christ never show up in the New Testament, but it's all over the place. If you've ever read your Bible, you've probably seen the language of in Christ, you're in Christ, or through Christ, these different prepositions in Christ. And basically what it refers to is our almost a marriage union, that's exactly the thing that the Bible uses to describe it, wherein we become united with Jesus by faith, and we have everything that's his, and he takes on everything that's ours. Uh, look at, at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, uh, basically the, the, whole, the whole chapter. And Paul has to this point talked about justification, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And now he's sort of answering the objection of, well, that gospel's great, so I can just do whatever the heck I want, right? Why not sin so that grace can abound? And he says, no way, you're united to Jesus. And he says, in verse 8, that we've been united to him, not only in his death, so that we're dead to sin, we're free from its penalty, we're free from the condemnation, but also, now that we're united to him, we'll also live like he does in his resurrection. We can live to please the Father now. His death counts as our death, yes, but also his life now animates us to live. Since we're united to him, divine, then we can now start to bear fruit as well. 
we need to then consider ourselves dead to sin, just as Jesus died to sin and rose again. Uh, number four, holiness matters because eternity is real. Holiness matters because eternity is real. Uh, when's the last time that you thought about heaven, the new heavens and the new earth? Probably not often. Uh, we just get so bogged down, especially when you're getting towards the end of a semester. Uh, you're just trying to think about the end of the semester, uh, trying to think about finals and how you're going to survive that. But seriously, uh, we need to think about heaven more often. You know, you heard the phrase, my wife didn't think this was that popular phrase. You heard the, don't be so heavenly minded, you have no earthly good, that thing? No, not really. Wow, okay, I was wrong. Uh, we need to think about heaven more. I'll just go ahead and move on. That's great. Um, so how does heaven motivate us to live godly lives? Well, first, heaven is a holy place. And Brad actually talked about this not long ago. But when you think about how the New Jerusalem is described in Revelation 21, you don't have to turn there. You can if you want, but I'll, I'll read it, parts of it. You'll notice that the, the, the New Jerusalem is described as a perfect cube, right? And anybody know what else was described as a perfect cube in the Old Testament? Brad is going to be so bummed because we just talked about this. The Holy of Holies. The center of the tabernacle, right? Uh, so it's a really holy place. And, and you'll notice that not everyone's allowed in this holy cube, right? Revelation 21, 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. In other words, heaven is for people who, by God's grace, love holiness, love obedience to God's word. You just imagine if for some reason you could show up in heaven, but you didn't love holiness. What in the world would you do there? Like, what would you do there? Uh, there's nothing for you. You know, they like to do holy things. It makes me think of Nacho Libre. I could talk of you of holy things. Um, but uh, seriously, they, they, they talk about holy things. They want to do holy stuff. You know, if you like Onyx Coffee, going to heaven without loving holiness would be like going to a Folgers convention. You know, like they don't, they don't love the same things that you love. Um, what would you, seriously, uh, we start now to prepare for uh, whenever we spend eternity with those who love Jesus. Uh, second and more briefly, eternity, eternity motivates us because eternity is about Jesus, right? If holiness is about Jesus, uh, so is eternity. First uh, John 3.2 gives us one of the most glorious hopes in the Bible that we, we don't know what we'll be like whenever we enter glory, but we know that when we see him, we'll be as he is, right? That's good news, that we will see him completely, behold him completely, and stop sinning. And the, question, or the, the, the way that the author moves on he says, and everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he's pure. So we're awaiting the time when we see Jesus face to face. We love him so much that we never, ever sin again. Why would we not start that process now? Why would we not start to live in light of eternity today? Uh, number five, holiness matters because we represent God. I'll try to get through these last three quickly. Uh, and you'll notice that I said we. Holiness matters because we represent God. It's because holiness is personal, but it's never private. Holiness is personal, but it's never private. In fact, Christians pursue holiness first and foremost in membership in local churches. And you don't have to be a member of UBC to pursue holiness. You have to be a member of some gospel preaching church. It's because God has set up the local church, as you see in Ephesians 3.10, to be the, the display of his glory on earth, where people can look at this group of people and say, oh, that's what God's like. And so that is why we're careful about membership. That's why we're careful to be in one another's lives and, and not just a part of the, the college group, not just a part of the young marriage group, but all together, right? Part of how we pursue holiness is through our lives together. So in membership, we can think about it this way. In membership, it's like we're passing out a team jersey, right? 
They're saying, here, this is the Team Jesus jersey. And when we give somebody the Lord's Supper, like we did last week, we're saying, hey, you, you're still on the team. Like, we see this evidence of God's grace in your life, and, and we're, we keep affirming you as a member of the team. So you see that it's important that we only give out the team jersey to folks who seem to really play for the team. Or else it's going to be confusing to the world when someone has the, the Jesus jersey on, but it looks like they're playing for the world's team, right? It'd be extremely confusing. And the reputation of God is tied to that person because we as a church have said, yeah, this guy belongs to Jesus. And, and so whenever someone seems to no longer represent Jesus, can't give a a credible profession of faith, to use an old Baptist word. Basically, we, we can't be sure that they actually do love Jesus. They actually are a believer. They're an unrepentant sin. Then that's when we practice what we call formal church discipline and, and take that jersey away so that Jesus' name isn't tied to people that have really no interest in Jesus whatsoever. So holiness matters because we represent God. That's why we need to be careful about our membership uh, and, uh, and be careful how we practice baptism and the Lord's Supper. Number six, holiness matters because it's for our joy. Holiness matters because it's for our joy. Godliness is not boring, right? Godliness is not anti-happiness. There was a, a, a guy, a historian, I think it was H.L. Minken, that said that Puritans, known for their holiness, they hated bear baiting, they hated bear trapping, not because of the pain it brought to the bear, but because of the pleasure it brought to the trapper because the hunter got so much joy in, in, in getting what he, what he came for. You know, they said that Puritanism was the sneaking suspicion that somebody somewhere was having a good time. But it couldn't be further from the truth. Actually, John Owen was a really big fan of uh, Spanish leather boots. I don't know if that shows that you're, you're a fun guy or not, uh, but it's definitely strange. Um, and joy, joy in God is at the very center of what it means to be a Christian. Joining God's at the very center of what it means to truly be born again. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. The Christian finds the most joy in obeying God. Sin is actually the drag, right? It can seem enticing, but sin always overpromises and underdelivers. And you have, you'll hear sometimes, God doesn't want you to be happy, He wants you to be holy. Well, for a Christian, that's totally illegitimate. That's, that's just not true. God wants you to be happy in Him and holy in Him. And sort of the more happy in Jesus you are, the, the holier you're going to be. And the holier you are, the happier that you'll be. You think about the Beatitudes, right? How do they start? Blessed is, blessed is, blessed is, blessed are. And the same thing with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who what? Walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? So it ties holiness, uh, it ties happiness to those who don't delight in sin, but delight in God instead. And in Hebrews 11, 24, 26, it says that Moses, he ditched Egypt and all the fleeting pleasures of the world because what? He, he knew that Christ had better pleasure in store for him, more. So sanctification is not a drag. It's actually true life. It's actually real happiness. Number seven, uh, finally, holiness matters because it brings God glory. Holiness matters because it brings God glory. Go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians 1. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 1. This is the whole reason that we exist, to bring God glory, to show that, that Jesus is so worthy. He's, he's infinitely valuable, right? He's worthy of all of our adoration. We, we want others to see our holiness, to see our good deeds, and to think not, wow, that guy's great, but wow, that dude, he, that, that, that girl must be saved by a great God. There must be something behind 
that person's good deeds. That, that, that's so good, right? It, you know, it's God that gives the power, and so it's God that gets the glory. Look there at uh, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, and I'll read them. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, right? Grow you in holiness, make you represent him more clearly, and may fulfill every resolve for good, that's our resolves for good, in every work of faith, that's our work of faith, by his power. Why? Verse 12. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you. So he's saying that God is going to work in this holiness. He's going to give us the power to resolve to do good. I'm, I'm not going to look at this. I am going to forgive my neighbor so that, so that his name gets glory. So that people see our good deeds and give glory to our Father who's in heaven. That's the, that's the whole reason that this thing exists. That's the whole reason God makes us holy and saves us so that we can be to the praise of his glory and his grace. God, God's working everything for his glory, including our holiness, and there's really no better motivation for that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that through your Son and by your Spirit, we really can live holy lives. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that we're saved not because of our holiness, but because of Jesus' holiness, but we do thank you that the gospel also creates in us the ability to love God, which is our highest good, which is what's best for us. Father, we pray that you would help us think about how we can love one another, and, and lead one another to live holy lives as members of this church and as, as individuals. And we pray that even as we discuss and even as we go and hear your word in the sermon, uh, that we would be more conformed to the image of your Son so that you would receive glory in and through our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, don't, I think you guys have to go to the discussion question. I don't really. I printed some there. Uh, but if you do have any like question questions for me, uh, feel free to, to fire them off. But if you don't, that's okay. Yeah? So, what would you say is the difference between righteousness and holiness? Righteousness and holiness. So the question, what's the difference between righteousness and holiness? Uh, they're, they're really similarly related. There's not, there's not a ton of difference. That, that makes a whole lot of, a lot of difference. They're, they're like different Hebrew words, but they are essentially synonymous. So both God's righteousness kind of refers to like him doing what is right, and it kind of is the same as God's holiness because God's holiness always does what's most consistent with himself. It's always, in that sense, always does what's right. So God's justice is the foundation of righteousness, but they're pretty synonymous. So there's not a, there's not a difference that it's really worth thinking about in that sense. So you can kind of take them nearly as meaning the same thing. That's a good question. What's up? Um, what is the role of the, the Holy Spirit? In- yeah, 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 yeah. So we got... Yeah, 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 yeah. So hopefully Trey will talk about this a ton more. But yeah, the Holy Spirit is the way that God works in us that which is good and pleasing in His sight. So we're born again, right? We're given new hearts. And then we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit because Jesus has died for us. He gives us the gift of the new covenant, which is the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit in us that begins to transform us into the image of His Son. And He does that primarily, as we know, through His Word, right? The the God-inspired Word. As we read, God opens our eyes by His Spirit. That's why we always pray for God's help. He opens our eyes to to behold wonderful things in His law, right? And and the the Holy Spirit shows us who Jesus is and and shows us the beauty of Christ, His glory. And as we behold that glory, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we become more like Jesus, right? We behold God's glory and we become more like that. We become more from one degree to the next more holy. 
So the Holy Spirit is the, 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 the means through which God makes us more like his son. So the Father gives the Spirit so that we can become like the Son. So it's a whole Trinitarian work there. Any other questions? That's a good question. If Trey doesn't talk more about the Holy Spirit, you have to get mad at him. Because, uh, yeah, that's the Holy Spirit, the one that makes us holy. Any other questions? All right, cool. Uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what you do. If you just pick your own teams or, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys know what to do. If my email's on there. Uh, if you have any questions, just give me a shout.